Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Putin's Russia stands on the brink of an incredible victory in Ukraine. And Europe is trembling. Not my words, but the words of the grandee, Daniel Hannan, a former pillar of the Parliament of the European Union. In the Daily Telegraph, one of the biggest mouthpieces, for now, of the British Empire. Abu Dhabi is trying to buy it. My goodness, I might end up with a column in it. But the war drags on in Gaza also. The raised hand of shame covered in blood. Raised by a black man in the service of the United States of America. The kind of antithesis to John Carlos's raised black hand in the Olympic Games all those decades ago. Scuppered a ceasefire. Caused the deaths of many hundreds, if not thousands, of more people. 20,000 people, 10,000 of them, small children and infants, lie under the rubble or in the cold earth of the Gaza Strip, in which several Hiroshima levels of explosives have been dropped on a territory 25 miles long and 5 miles wide. Just think about that. And the political price is beginning to be paid all over Europe and prepare yourselves soon in North America. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night, as Betty Davis once said, because this is the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. Daniel Hannan once wrote a leader column about me in the Daily Telegraph. It ended up costing the newspaper more than £2 million, £2.3 million. Therefore, I've always had a special feeling for him. Thanks, Dan. But ever since then, I've never looked at a leader he's written in the Foghorn Daily Telegraph with as much interest as the one he posted just a couple of hours to go. We'll have it on the screen in a second. But uh, in summary, it says Putin's Russia is closing in on a devastating victory in Ukraine and Europe's foundations are trembling. Well, of the first point, there can be no doubt. But any fool knoweth, and unfortunately most of those fools are in the governments of Europe and North America, that this war could only end with this result. I am not one of the pillars of the European Union, and despite almost 30 years in the British Parliament, maybe with more to come, I never came close to wielding power. I left school at 16 and had none of the benefit of the expensive education of people like Daniel Hannan, of people like those in charge of the events in the European Union, in the United Kingdom, or in North America. 
And yet I was able to tell you 18 months ago that this is exactly what would ha happen at the end of the war. How is that? Why is that? That I know what these geniuses didn't appear to know. Europe, says Hannan, and of this I have no personal knowledge, is trembling. It's on the verge of becoming a new Holy Roman Empire, which was chiefly identified in the following slogan, the Holy Roman Empire is neither holy nor Roman, nor is it an empire, but it was a thing until it wasn't. The European Union wasn't European. Russia is the biggest country in Europe. Moscow is the biggest city in Europe. The Russian economy is the biggest economy in Europe. And it's never been in the European Union. But the European Union wasn't a union either. Because a union has a united positions, has united strength, has all the sinews of a union. The European Union has none of those things. The leaders of the European Union are as many and varied politically and personally as it is possible to believe. And many of the European countries are itching to leave the European Union in the way that my own country, the United Kingdom, did. The truth is that the European Union is nothing more than an assembly of vassals of the gerontocratic leadership in Washington, D.C., Joe Biden and co. Now, it's one thing being a vassal of Rome. Julius Caesar was definitely a leader to behold. But to be a vassal of Joe Biden must be the most diminishing, degrading fate that any political figure could possibly imagine. Who entered politics in the European Union hoping to end up as a servant of a drooling, apparently drugged and semi-imbecilic president who's a laughingstock, who's opposed by now almost two-thirds of the people of the United States. In a poll out today, only 35% support Joe Biden's unending, weaponizing, deploying every arm, every weapon, every political maneuver that he possibly can in support of Netanyahu, with the support of only 35% of the people of the United States. Who wanted to end up a tool in the hands of Joe Biden? I can't accentuate enough my contempt, not just for the so-called Democrats in the United States, but the so-called social Democrats, the so-called liberals, the so-called socialists even, in the European Union. Germany is in microcosm, a picture of this, led by little soldier Schultz, Bunkers Baerbock, the socialists and the Greens have turned into vampires. They are literally dripping in blood, first in Ukraine and now in Gaza. They are salivating. They are bleeding from their eyes 
with their hatred for the other in the jungle as defined by Joseph Borrell. And nothing stops them. No videos, no pictures, no pitiful sights that would move a stone to weep make the German government even blanch. They dig down deeper and deeper. And the same is true more or less of all of the governments of Europe. The truth is that these people have destroyed their own countries. Long before Gaza, long before Ukraine, they were on the path to extinction. They were on the path to national suicide. But Ukraine and Gaza have accelerated everything. The hatred felt by tens of millions of members of the public in those Western countries towards their own government has to be seen, heard, felt. It is eviscerating for the political system in Western countries that everyone hates their government and where they don't actively hate it, they passively distrust it. And how could it be otherwise? All of our institutions are utterly hollowed out. Take the Metropolitan Police, for example, London's finest. I hope to be in charge of them next May as the Mayor of London. But whether I am or whether I'm not, let me say this. All day I've been looking at pictures and tweets and messages from the Metropolitan Police hunting down two white middle-class English people who they want to arrest in connection to a placard that they carried at the demonstration for Gaza in London on Saturday. Now, I don't know what was on the placard, nor any wish to. What I do know is that is not the most serious crime going on in London this evening. But if I were to call the police, if I saw a stabbing or a shooting or a drug deal going down, if my car was broken into, if my house was burgled, there wouldn't be the same attention from the Metropolitan Police as they are paying to the hunt for a placard holder at a demonstration, a mass demonstration once again in London this weekend. London makes me proud. Liverpool today made me proud. Edinburgh, Glasgow, Cardiff, all over my country. I'm proud of my compatriots rising in uncountable numbers every week in the foulest weather you can possibly imagine. Just wait till the winter comes in and we can't pay our fuel bills. Our people are showing the best of the British. Our government, who don't even seem to be British to me at all, little Rishi Sunak with his American green card in his inside pocket, is just waiting to get on the plane to Los Angeles as soon as he goes down to defeat in the upcoming British general election. His wife is a billionaire, billionaire, making money even in conflict zones, even in Russia, even in China, and definitely in Israel. The contempt our people feel for our political leaders is deeply unhelpful. 
It's deeply unhealthy. Our people are becoming sick as a result of it. And they may have written, or they may not, I have no idea, something they shouldn't have on a placard. But the fact that our police are out there hunting for a placard, as all around us, the center folds, our economy crashes, our society burns, burning with hatred and division, tells you everything that you need to know about the state we are in. And where are the liberals? Where are all these liberal institutions? How hollow, how shallow, how meaningless liberalism looks today in the teeth of this imperial rampage coming to an end in Ukraine, but maybe just beginning in the Middle East and West Asia. You know, I watched amazed as Hollywood actresses queued up to cut their hair in solidarity with Iranian women apparently forced to wear a piece of cloth over their head. Anyone who's ever been in Iran knows that the cloth is not that tightly affixed, to be sure, and that women are everywhere in public life and running a very great many of Iranian institutions. But be that as it may, where are the Hollywood actresses cutting their hair for the unique plight of women in Gaza? Where are the feminists? Where are the pussy hat wearing Trump haters? who couldn't bear the thought that Donald Trump once idly fantasized about grabbing a woman by her pussy when in Gaza women are being slaughtered in unprecedented numbers. Children are being murdered at a quicker rate than they were in the death camps of Sobribor of Auschwitz, of Belsen, of Birkenau. Where are the people in academia that were ready to turn up to a protest at the drop of a hat in defense of academic freedom, unless it was to claim that sex is binary, in which case they'd turn up in a demonstration to get you fired. Where are they? at the slaughter, systematic, deliberate slaughter of intellectuals, of professors, of doctors, of surgeons. Where are the doctors in the Western world? Are there no medical institutions sufficiently empathetic to even raise a tweet when a professor of pharmacy, when a professor of surgery is murdered by a sniper through the head in his hospital, as happened this day. Where are the journalists in the Western countries who are forever telling us how freedom is the distinguishing characteristic of the society that we live in, or at least used to? Almost 80 journalists have been deliberately murdered Journalists, broadcasters, camera crews deliberately murdered to silence them 
so that you wouldn't have to look at their output? Why is no journalist of note, of any kind of prominence, prepared to say, I'm not going to put up with this. These people are my colleagues. These people are my fellow professionals. And they're being murdered, massacred. Where are all these liberals in the liberal professions? Where are all these free speech advocates? As places like Harvard, Columbia, and other places in the United States literally pass laws to sack people from their jobs, to kick them out of the university, to abolish their ad hoc committees, to ban them from protests. Where are the liberals? They are utterly exposed. They are utterly exposed as the other side of the coin of the outright reactionaries. Reactionaries who once upon a time, by the way, had nothing but contempt for snowflakery. Nothing but contempt for those that said they needed a safe space. That they were being made uneasy by the free speech of others. These so-called libertarians, so-called conservatives, are now in the front ranks of those seeking to witch hunt and deplatform, gag those with a different point of view. The false dichotomy of conservatism and liberalism is utterly exposed in the current context. I happen to believe that Putin will win this decisive victory of which Mr. Daniel Hannan is tonight weeping over. I happen to believe that the European Union will collapse and deserves to collapse. But I cannot be happy at the consequent penury, poverty, and cold into which our populations are now heading. Heading as the direct result of the policies pursued by our own leaders. But they said 1848 was the year of revolutions. 2024 is the year of elections. In Britain, local elections, the London mayoralty, general election. In the United States, the presidential election, the big enchilada. This coming year gives us a chance, maybe our last chance, to change course and to make peace with the rest of the world, to mend our bridges, the bridges that we ourselves destroyed, to save our economies from utter ruin. It's our last chance, perhaps, to avoid a situation where the sun has risen in the east, but set in the west, leaving us in utter cold and darkness. Coming up is the mother.
of all talk shows. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. The Honourable Craig Murray is one of the best of British, although he'd prefer to be called one of the best of Scottish, but whichever way you dice it, he is one of the best. Former British ambassador, human rights activist, which got him sacked as a British ambassador and a historian and reporter of note. Please welcome the Honourable Craig Murray. Excellency, welcome uh, back to the show and welcome back to Twitter. Uh, And there's a tale attached to you and Twitter, isn't there? Tell us. Yeah, I um, lost my Twitter account um, about six weeks ago uh, when it was hacked. And it was hacked in an extraordinarily suspicious manner because... Uh, not only was my password changed, which is how I first knew there was a hack, they managed to also change the name of the account while still keeping the uh, the blue tick. Uh, and they changed the email address and the telephone so I couldn't get it back. Uh, and you're not meant to be able to make all of those charges changes at once. Twitter will block, if you change your password, Twitter will block you from making other changes for a period of time. Um, so this must have been done um, as an inside job or by someone with a uh, with a back door. Uh, but also, of course, uh, this happened while uh, my telephone uh, was in the possession of Police Scotland or or whichever security services they had passed it on to. Um, and shortly after, a few days after, they'd seized my laptop also and made a, an electronic copy of it, which also would have given them access into my Twitter account. So, uh, you know, there's every reason to believe that this was the security services who were behind the hacking of my Twitter account, as opposed to just some random hacker. There's probably uh, the sound of jaws dropping uh, all over the world at what you've just said. Uh, especially in the context that you are a former British ambassador. You are a man that has never been uh, any kind of violent threat to anyone. You're an intellectual gentleman of the first rank. Uh, What possibly could be the justification for the police doing this, taking this action, and someone consequently... uh, 
becoming involved in that kind of skullduggery and for what purpose? It is extraordinary, isn't it? I, I mean, I am under investigation for terrorism. I'm under investigation under the Terrorism Act. We've had a, a letter um, telling us that. Um, my lawyers have written to the police asking precisely what act of terrorism I am under investigation for, and have uh, so far we've received no reply um, whatsoever. Uh, I was questioned by the police at the airport, at Glasgow Airport, for an hour, and they asked me equally, really, sort of it was divided 50-50 between my support for WikiLeaks and my support for Palestine. Um, and I, I gather, I would imagine the timing of this is dictated by trying to get me off social media and off the streets and away from demonstrations or things to prevent me campaigning for Palestine during the current genocide. I, I, I assume that's what has dictated the timing, but we're, we're not sure because they just refuse to tell us what is this terrorism of which I'm accused. And that, as you say, I've never had any association with any violence of any kind. So, uh, you know, the, the idea that um, a former British ambassador uh, is now under investigation for terrorism is, is really something uh, it's hard to believe, but you know, that's the topsy-turvy world we've moved into. I, I, I think the, the sheer uh, progress that's been made in the direction of fascism uh, and in the, you know, the cancellation of liberty and freedom of speech, particularly for people who support Palestine, uh, is stupefying. I, I mean, it really is very difficult to believe this is where we are. Yes, it is quite bewildering, the pace and the scale uh, of the shredding of those characteristics, hallmarks, that were always held up, at least, as uh, the distinguishing characteristics of the free world. Uh, speaking personally, I know that both of my grandfathers went off to war, one of whom didn't need to. He was Irish and came and volunteered. Uh, they went off to war. Uh, to fight for and potentially die for the preservation of a set of characteristics uh, which they believed at least were characteristics of uh, Britain, but which are now being literally shredded in front of our eyes, aren't they? Well, they are. And, um, you know, we've seen people arrested for displaying Palestinian flags for, for quite mild expressions of um, of outrage, really, at the uh, at the terrible destruction of, of women and children that's happening in Palestine as as, as we speak, um, and we we've seen, you know, legal restrictions on freedom of speech and freedom of assembly multiplying and and, and multiplying. A lot of this was started, which shouldn't be forgotten, by by Tony Blair uh, and the uh, and New Labour uh, who brought in. Uh, restrictions on, on speech and restrictions on assembly. Uh, we, we now have a new Tory Public Order Act under which any demonstration can be banned if it inconveniences or offends anyone. And frankly, every demonstration inconveniences or offends someone. There's no point in doing it if it doesn't. I would, I've, I've said, and yeah, there are also other measures, like uh, this week, with very little publicity, uh, we saw 
legislation which allows for government to snoop into the bank accounts of half of the population. They, they can snoop into the bank accounts of anybody in receipt of any kind of public funds, including child benefit and, and old age pensions. So uh, you know, all of the views that we had of what constitutes the private realm, the realm of freedom of speech, the realm of freedom of thought, uh, the realm of academic freedom, the realm of being of your finances being your own uh, and not controlled and observable by the state. All, all of those presumptions of how society works are, are shifting in favour of this extraordinary power of central control. Now, when I and Chris Williamson founded No to NATO, uh, you were good enough to speak at our launch, despite having uh, a different uh, point of view to us about the uh, Russian involvement uh, in Ukraine. You nonetheless uh, uh, accepted to speak, and in a brilliant speech, uh, you talked uh, devastatingly about NATO. Uh, Daniel Hannan of the Daily Telegraph has just this evening predicted uh, a, a catastrophic victory for the Russian armed forces and has described the European Union as trembling uh, in the wake of it. Uh, is he right to be so devastated, Mr. Hannan? Uh, and what do you think the consequences for the NATO countries might be? Well, the sad thing, of course, is that the war is going to end, as I said in that speech and as others have said, uh, the war is going to end with a settlement that will be very, very close uh, to what could have been achieved before anybody died. Uh, and there's no doubt that the war is going to end with um, Crimea being effectively ceded to Russia, whether formally or not, or how long it will take for that to become formal, um, I don't know. And it looks like it's going to end with Russian uh, occupation of the Donbass region. And uh, that was probably something Ukraine could have avoided if they'd been much more reasonable in negotiations at the at, at the start of the conflict. So, um, yeah, I think you know, there's no doubt there was a, there was a rather amusing uh, speech by Zelensky a few days ago in which he said this counter offensive had been a a success because it hadn't lost too much ground. Well, a, an offensive in which you go backwards is is not actually a great uh, success. I think, and one of the sad things is that we've seen a decline of neutralism. Uh, the you know the idea of Finland and Sweden joining uh, NATO um, has achieved nothing. It, it's done nothing whatsoever to help the Ukraine. It's done no good to Finland or to Sweden. Sweden had not yet you know, membership not yet being achieved, but they're they're heading that way. Um, and the the more expansionist NATO becomes the more dangerous to the world you know there's no there is no possibility that russia will wage war on western europe but that, that, that's a mad fantasy which just isn't going to happen and there's no need 
to build the world's most massively armed defensive alliance against that eventuality. But now, of course, we see yet another example of what NATO is, is really about, which is the projection of neo-imperialism. And that's why you have massive NATO assets being uh, deployed all over the Eastern Mediterranean as we speak, and massive naval assets there, uh, in order to threaten the poor Palestinians, who of course have neither army nor air force nor navy. So the uh, um, NATO is a terrible futility. Uh, uh, an, an aggressive organization which feeds Russian fears, which makes conflict much, much more likely, not less likely, and which, of course, gives massive transfer of money from you and me and everybody listening uh, to the military, uh, to the military industrial complex and to the politicians who get paid lots of money by the arms industry. So uh, that's what NATO is. Now, you were uh, a diplomat uh, of distinction. Uh, what did you make of the Security Council uh, meeting this weekend, uh, which ended uh, in another, but perhaps the most expensive so far, uh, US veto in defense of Netanyahu? Yeah, I think um, the anger being felt at the United States um, is of a, an order which is game-changing. You know, I, it's normally quite difficult for um, for developing countries to stand up to the United States because they are dependent on trade access and dependent on aid payments. But the whole international financial system is designed to make them dependent uh, on the United States. Uh, and so they show their um, anger at the United States with reluctance. But I think that anger is now extremely real. It's quite interesting. I'm, I'm in Geneva rather than New York, at the other hub of the United Nations, but the one concerned with human rights and, and refugees, um, and, and where the uh, UN uh, work in Palestine is, is run out of. Um, and I was listening to a debate on genocide here, which was organized for the 75th anniversary of the Genocide Convention. It wasn't meant to be about Palestine, but of course it was about Palestine. And um, interesting, every nation, for every delegate who spoke, for, and, and these were diplomats, they, they weren't NGOs, every delegate who spoke from a developing country or from the Arab world mentioned Israel in terms of colonial occupation. They, framed, they all framed it that way. And that's rather new. That wasn't normally how, how Israel was discussed at the United Nations before. So I, I, I think we're seeing a real change that, that will damage Israel and damage the United States in the long term in, in quite serious ways. And what did you make of the British abstention? Uh, in a way, even more contemptible, uh, no? Um, one would have had perhaps more respect, if, uh, if I can use that word in the context, if they'd stood up by uh, the others in the axis, United States, Israel, and the UK, has become an axis. But we <coughs> abstained. Why? Um, I mean, that was truly pathetic. Um, that, that wasn't a attempt to 
cling to some of the um, relationships that the, the United Kingdom has internationally. It was an attempt not to not not to incur quite as much opprobrium as the United States. Of course, it won't work. I mean, we, we were seen as just as complicit. If, if a genocide is happening, you won't even vote to stop it. Uh, you know, what what does that say about you? And <laughs> the United States voted in favour of genocide, whereas the United Kingdom apparently couldn't work out whether it thinks genocide is a bad thing or not. Um, it, it, it really is pathetic. And I I saw the uh, the. UK ambassador sitting there. I don't know her personally, but I I thought she looked deeply ashamed. I, I'm, I'm I'm happy to say that, that I I hope her conscience is is troubling her. Um, and I I think everybody should send her pictures of dead children all the time, so she realizes you can't hang on to your career and your salary uh, and do things which are totally and utterly immoral. Uh, and that woman is a disgrace. Honourable Craig Murray, thank you very much, as always, for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Craig Murray there in Geneva. After the break, we've got the irrepressible, terrific, irreplaceable Richard Medhurst. Stay tuned. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. Richard Medhurst is a young man who, in a remarkably short time, has established himself as one of the most clear and powerful voices on the issues of the Middle East, but much, much wider than that. He's a young man that is listened to by older men and women with great attention, and I'm glad to say he's back with us now. Uh, Richard, uh, how do you see the situation now in the Arab world, after President Putin's, rather, I was there, uh, so I can tell you with no exaggeration that uh, Putin took the, uh, the Gulf by storm. How, what impact is that having in the rest of the Arab world? Hi, George. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'll just start out by saying that um, uh, when uh, Putin visited uh, Saudi Arabia, they they posted a six-minute video um, of him being greeted by mm. um, uh, MBS and other officials, which was kind of a, uh, how should I put this politely? Well, it was um, uh, a rude gesture pointed at the, uh, aimed at the Americans in a, in, a, in a sense, telling them that, look, we have other options in case you're going to fumble this with uh, uh, what you're doing uh, with Israel, um, with this uh, plan for a new Middle East. Um, and, and of course, you know, earlier in the year when, when uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, UAE, uh, Egypt, they, they joined BRICS, they also kind of sent that message as well. Um, uh, the thing is that when, when, when Putin is, is making these snap visits to the Middle East, uh, this is, you know, it's also uh, uh, the act in and of itself is a message to the rest of the world is that, you know, uh, as long as America is going to get bogged down in wars in Ukraine um, and dragging the rest of Europe uh, with it into, into supporting Ukraine and then also Israel, uh, the, the rest of the world is still going to try and, and move on without them. Um, you know, obviously, it would be nice to see uh, more support from the Chinese and the Russians uh, when it comes to Palestine. But, uh, you know, that, that this is uh, uh, obviously a, a different conversation because were they to get involved, they would uh, have a confrontation with the Americans and they're already trying to deal with the Cold War and, and Ukraine. Uh, but, um, you know, it, the funny thing is that uh, when the Ukraine war started, 
um, they, they tried to vilify the Russians and sanction them. And we're seeing now, after a year and a half, almost two years, um, that th this campaign has failed. Uh, the sanctions against Russia backfired. Uh, their attempts to, uh, you know, uh, put an arrest warrant out on on Putin um, didn't amount to anything. So he's still able to travel freely. And we saw that when he was actually, you know, on his way there in the presidential jet, uh, they jammed the USS um, Eisenhower um, uh, for, and it was it was uh, rendered uh, basically immobile um, and was irreparable for an entire day. Uh, so, you know, Putin is going to travel wherever he wants, whenever he wants, and he's not going to be bogged down um, uh, by, uh, you know, attempts by. Uh, the United States, who, again, I should add, is not an ICC member, but loves messing with the ICC to put out warrants on people it doesn't like. Um, so he, he's not bogged down by that. And uh, I, I would add also that um, the head of the delegation, the Ukrainian delegation who went to Istanbul to hash out peace talks with uh, the Russians, uh, confirmed uh, what Putin um, had, had said a few months ago when he held up the draft uh, peace agreement with Ukraine, uh, that yes, Russia had offered peace, uh, the the only condition was neutrality uh, that that uh, Ukraine will forego uh, NATO membership, and Boris Johnson, um, uh, you know our beloved former Prime Minister, went down there and told the Ukrainians personally not to sign anything with the Russians and to keep fighting uh, against them and that NATO would have their back. And we see now that this was not true. Uh, once again, uh, you, you know this is the the curse of. Uh, uh, blindly trusting the United States, you end up stabbed in the back. Many have made this mistake in the past. Uh, the Kurds, for example, um, uh, got stabbed in the back by the Americans, uh, even Saddam Hussein. Uh, so, you know, it's a very long list. Um, and Ukraine now is is not even in the news anymore. And they're slowly winding people down, um, saying that, well, you know, it's not winnable. Uh, and, it, and it isn't winnable, but we knew this from the start. And they could have found a diplomatic settlement, a diplomatic solution in the beginning. Uh, but unfortunately, they, they let it go to this. And Ukraine is now one third of Ukraine's territory has been mined, uh, which is very tragic. Um, you know, all these people that have been killed from the Russian side, from the Ukrainian side uh, for this needless war. Um, but, you know, NATO are done making their money. And so now they've moved on to Israel, where they're, they're now sending them, um, uh, you know, 10,000 tons of gear uh, in the last two months, uh, over 100 bunker buster bombs. Uh, $14 billion. This is a, a, another, you know, money laundering um, uh, cycle, uh, basically money changing hands from, uh, you know, the taxpayer uh, into the uh, arms manufacturers. Um, but uh, Russia, China, Iran, and the global south, their standing on the world stage has improved as a result. Uh, so we're seeing a decline of the West um, and people like Putin and Xi Jinping and uh, Raisi and uh, Bashar al-Assad, all these leaders that they've tried to malign uh, are just moving on without the West. Uh, and that's uh, something that people are going to have to get used to, um, that, you know, we have we have a choice now. We can either cooperate with the rest of the world and behave normally in the international community or continue doing what people in Washington say. Some things uh, surprise one, uh, even at my age. Uh, and one of those is how badly uh, Israeli propaganda is put together, uh, littered with quickly and easily provable uh, falsehoods, mistakes, right. lies, uh, and, and how little traction it has in the world, despite being supported by all Western governments and virtually all, if not entirely all, uh, the uh, mainstream media in all Western countries. Are you surprised how badly uh, Israel has 
um, ha has created this propaganda or is what they're doing just so horrific that no amount of artistry uh, can turn it into a pretty picture? Yeah, th those are both very good points, George. Um, the, the thing is that, you know, the United States send Israel billions of dollars every year. And, and I'm kind of shocked how they, they still manage to make the worst propaganda on earth. It's, it's I mean, they, either they, they are really incompetent or they, they just uh, think that everyone in the West is really stupid, that they're just going to buy this, uh, uh, you know, and, and blindly believe it. And the latest one, was was this uh, episode where they basically kidnapped um, uh, men in Gaza, including uh, journalists. They stripped them, blindfolded them. Uh, they kept them in the cold all night, then released some of them. And, uh, you know, because people got outraged um, and, and some stations, uh, some journalists asked them about it. They then claimed they're Hamas fighters. Well, uh, you know, they, they're not Hamas fighters because you don't fight naked. And, and we the Israelis released videos of these uh, so-called Hamas fighters surrendering their assault rifles, their AK-47s, in their underwear. Um, so, you know, t this idea that, that um, they, they would fight naked, I, I just don't buy this. It's, it's uh, preposterous. Um, uh, and also, well, you know, we know that the Israelis um, uh, have lied about a lot of things. You know, they keep telling us that things are happening, but they don't provide any evidence. I mean, uh, they say, for example, that, um, uh, you know, again, I don't want to go into their whole list of things, but the beheaded babies, for example, was one of the biggest claims. And, and yet they don't provide any evidence. Um, and uh, the rapes, no evidence. Uh, e even on college campuses in the U.S., they, they make claims that Palestinian activists or pro-Palestine uh, people are saying things like gas to Jews. Well, I mean, if, if they would provide us evidence with this, I think you and I would be the first people to condemn that, but they don't provide any evidence. And so what they're really trying to do is to smear the Palestinian resistance, uh, to smear uh, uh, college students, um, uh, you know, university campuses where, where some protesting against Israel is allowed. Uh, and and shut that uh, entire conversation down and and you know allow no room for dissent. Uh, so it really really is preposterous and, and terrible propaganda. Um, and the thing with the list in the hospital at, at Al Shifa Hospital, I mean, they just thought that because something is written in Arabic and the Israelis pointing at it and saying, you know, this is a list of of, of hostage nannies, that people are going to blindly believe that, which I think says a lot about the the level of Islamophobia that's that's been you know that's been. Uh, um, that's fermented in the West over the years with Iraq and, and with Syria and Afghanistan and so on, that, that you know, you can say anything about um, Arabs and Muslims and people will just eat it up. Well, unfortunately for them, uh, you know, people on the Internet are not um, uh, just going to blindly believe what Israel says. And, and they, you know, rightfully called that out. It was actually just the days of the week written in Arabic. Uh, so, yeah, it, it really is terrible propaganda. Um, and I don't know why they, it, it, it's like it just gets gradually worse and worse. I will say something, though, that, when it comes to the claims the Israelis make, it seems like everything they say about Palestinians um, uh, having allegedly done is, is a confession. Uh, you know, this thing about burned babies, ironically, it's uh, it's the Israelis that threw uh, Palestinian babies in the oven. There's at least one occasion of this um, uh, where an eyewitness saw both the baby and the father being thrown into an oven by Israelis. Um, you know, the, the rapes, we've seen uh, 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 children, uh, men, women, all suffering sexual assault and abuse in the prisons. Some of the hostages released uh, in the last weeks confirmed this, uh, that they were subjected to these horrific things. Uh, whereas you look at how uh, Israeli hostages are treated by uh, Hamas, you know, they're treated humanely, normally. Um, there's no deranged behavior directed at them. So uh, every, every Israeli uh, accusation is really just a confession and an admission of guilt. Even their general staff, uh, Mr. Mark Regev, for example, uh, the Australian settler who has become 
an indispensable voice for Netanyahu, yeah. former ambassador uh, in London. Uh, he, he went on television, and when asked by the journalist why they had stripped all these men naked and put them on public display, a la Abu Ghraib, uh, right. for example, he actually said on television it was hot, so we stripped them down. Incredible. The, the fact that it was 15 degrees, 1-5 degrees, and therefore not hot but cold, why would you strip a huge number of men, photograph yourself doing it, and expect that not to look ugly? And that's Regev, one of the best yeah. of the propagandists. What do you make of that? <laughs> yeah, George, this is really... Um... Uh, it, it, the Israelis really shown their true colors uh, because um, uh, the, this thing that oh the weather is warm, uh, as you said, no, no, it's absolutely not. And and let's say let, let's assume let's play devil's advocate literally for a second and say that it was warm. Uh, that doesn't give you the right to strip the prisoners and photograph them naked. Uh, you know, one of the war crimes committed in the Ukraine war was that uh, POWs were being filmed. So uh, even if these men were really Hamas fighters, and even if it was you know it was. Uh, uh, it was so, so hot. You can't strip them and then photograph them and film them and publish this. It's a war crime, uh, period. Uh, I know in, I know that in Israel, international law translates to toilet paper, but nevertheless, you know, they should make some tiny effort uh, because what they're really doing is they incriminate themselves, really. Um, we shouldn't expect anything less, but they, they incriminate themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, Article Article 13 of the Geneva Convention is, is precisely um, uh, the article that, that stipulates you cannot subject people to uh, degrading um, uh, treatment or humiliation. And you've mentioned Abu Ghraib, and I think this is a very sensible and appropriate um, uh, comparison because uh, the treatment, uh, it, it looks identical. You know, you've got these uh, Arab men that are being stripped down, uh, you know, subjected to humiliation, blindfolded, abused, and then photographed. Um, by their captors. And we, we saw the Americans doing this in Abu Ghraib, um, the Israelis doing it now in Gaza, and of course ISIS, uh, who were created by the United States um, and, and working alongside Israel and the United States, doing that to Syrian soldiers as well when they massacred them. So I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I, I think this, this form of torture and humiliation, that, that it's done in the exact same manner, it's filmed, it's published, um, it, it's not a coincidence. It, it is happening in the same region by the same people who, you know, it really just comes down to, to European colonizers, essentially, whether we're talking about the Israelis or Americans or Europeans. It's the same powers uh, uh, that, are, that are doing this. And, and you know, we, we should just, uh, uh, you know, call it out for what it is. It's, uh, it's, it's not just crimes, uh, war crimes, they're crimes against humanity because it's an affront on the entire country, on the entire peoples, uh, you know, uh, on their civilians and also on their armed forces. And uh, it's always American Zionists behind this. Um, and I don't know what it is, if they, they, they get a kick out of it or something, but uh, it really is not a coincidence. And what they're doing is just showing their true colors. What, what astounds me is that uh, every single day we see more and more atrocities uh, like this humiliation and torture coming out, and people in the West don't wake up. What is it going to take for people to wake up? I, I ask the, myself this question every single day. Is there a threshold um, of, of people that have to die or, or you know, uh, uh, crimes that have to be filmed on camera uh, and documented? Because every single one of them, almost every single one is, uh, that, that we have to reach before people wake up. What's it going to take? Well, uh, Richard, the whole point about the metaphor of the straw that broke the camel's back 
is that you never know what the last straw is going to be. If you did, you wouldn't put it on the camel's back. But the camel's back breaks, and one day this will break too. Richard Medhurst, as always, thank you for joining us on the mother of thank you, all talk shows. Do follow Richard and support his work. After this very quick break, it's the one and only, and I mean the one and only, Professor Dan Kovalik. Just back from the West Bank and all kinds of horrors did he see there. Stay tuned. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Uh, Professor Dan Kovalik a regular guest of ours, an author uh, of note, a lawyer of note, a professor of note, but a great, great communicator too. And I'm always glad when I see his name on our guest list. He joins us now, Dan Kovalik. Dan, I don't know if you're still in the West Bank. Uh, I retweeted your picture of uh, of the crib where Jesus was born. Uh, just an hour or two ago, but I do know that you were witness to the attempted annihilation, ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people on the West Bank. Tell us about it if you can. Yes, first of all, George, thanks for having me. It's always an honor for me to be with you. I am back home now, and I spent a week in the West Bank, and things there are uh, are terrible. The repression uh, against the Palestinian people has really increased since October 7th. Around 300 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank since October 7th. To give you an idea of, of the scale of that, about 250 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank uh, from the beginning of the year to October 7th. So you can see that there's been a real increase in that. Moreover, around 3,000 Palestinians have been arrested in the West Bank. Now, I stayed in Ramallah while I was there. Uh, You're seeing an image of of that now. Uh, That's an area A, by the way, in the West Bank, which means by agreement between Israel and the Palestinian Authority and by uh, Israeli law, Israelis are not even allowed to enter uh, Ramallah. And yet, while I was there, Uh, Israeli troops entered the city. They shut down a printing store, took the printing press, closed it uh, for good because because the owner of it is in prison. He is a political prisoner. Um, uh, Right before I got there, actually my hosts, uh, where I stayed, their building had been invaded by Israeli troops who came in, arrested a young man, in the process, killed two people, almost killed a third. It was a journalist who I spoke to as well. And uh, so the situation is very bad. The settlements, uh, you can see the settlements, the construction of the settlements 
are furiously uh, continuing while the demolition of homes of Palestinians is also increasing. And so uh, people there are under a lot of stress. I mean, first of all, they're, they're stressed and depressed because of what's happening in Gaza, but also they see their lives in uh, the West Bank being threatened um, as well. Now, Dan, uh, this Area A, Area B, Area C, not many people any longer remember what that was, but you were uh, absolutely correct to make the point uh, that this Area A is under uh, President Abbas by law, not just by Israeli law, by the way, but by international law, because the international community adopted the Oslo Accords. Ergo, Area A is an entirely Palestinian-governed area, yet Israeli settlers and military are rampaging at will. No, no that's absolutely true. And you see that also in Bethlehem, uh, where I visited, also in Area A. Um, in fact, as you go into... <clears throat> Uh, uh, this just south of Bethlehem, there's a big sign that says it's Area A, and Israelis are strictly forbidden from uh, entering. Uh, but then again, uh, Israeli military enter this area all the time. I visited a refugee camp there, and I visited a youth center there. And uh, some very short time ago, Israeli military entered the, the youth center, stole computers, stole thousands of dollars from their safe, in the refugee camp itself, the Israeli military enters all the time, again, arrests young men, sometimes kills young men there. Um, so, again, the law is not being followed. In fact, there is no rule of law there. Uh, and I think that's important to, you know, all these people, the thousands of people being arrested, many are put in administrative detention without any charge. Um, I met a young man who was arrested. He was at 17 when he was arrested. He was in jail for 18 months, uh, sorry, eight months. During that time, he was beaten. He was starved. Uh, they would get for a meal. Uh, 12 people in a cell would get one plate of food to share. And meanwhile, he never knew why he was, why he was charged because his charge is in a secret file. He did appear before a court and a judge, but the proceedings were in Hebrew. And he speaks Arabic, and there was no translation. And there's no way for him to challenge his, his being held. Uh, he ultimately was released because of the prisoner exchange uh, that just happened. Uh, but he's been severely traumatized. And again, no one will be held account to account for this. I met a, a family as well whose young uh, son, whose son at age 17 was murdered a week ago. He was merely a bystander to Israelis entering the village, arresting a young man. He wanted to see what was happening. When he went out, he was shot four times with butterfly bullets, which are illegal munitions. And this, the family told me that this uh, young man was their hope. They, he was their future, and their future died with him. Uh, and this is a daily occurrence in the West Bank. And the world, properly focused on Gaza, of course, is not paying attention to what's happening in the West Bank. Israel's using, uh, you know, this period to try to make more incursions on the West Bank, to steal more land, to destroy more homes, 
to destroy more lives there. And uh, and it's quite sad. By the way, George, I should point out that in Jerusalem, it's 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 actually the worst in Jerusalem, which, again, people tend to forget about what's happening there. Um, the attempt to uh, gain more of the territory in Jerusalem for Israelis and to, to take away more for the Palestinians again, that is accelerating now. And. Um, Again, the world is not paying attention to this. Uh, I'm the last who will ever forget uh, Jerusalem, a one-time resident of Salahuddin Street uh, in the same place as the late uh, Christopher Hitchens when he was on the side of the angels. Uh, but uh, uh, that changed. I have no wish to uh, uh, cause a division in any way. I have known President Abbas for more than 40 years. Uh, I, I want to foster the unity of all Palestinians, irrespective of their politics. But this kind of contempt uh, for the uh, Area A, uh, it's deeply undermining to Abbas and to the uh, so-called Palestine National Authority, isn't it? Well, it is. And, you know, the sad part is, and I agree with you, you don't want to point fingers uh, or, or raise divisions. But the truth is, the Palestinian Authority is not stopping the incursions of Israelis into the Area A. And frankly, at times carries out the will of the Israelis in helping arrest people that they want arrested. Um, it's my sense that people are very disheartened and disillusioned in, in the government. Uh, uh, in Ramallah. Um, meanwhile, it should be pointed out uh, that even the basic task of collecting taxes, you know, for revenue is not being carried out. Now, that's not the Palestinian Authority's fault, but uh, Israel, you know, is now taking all the taxes and giving none back to the Palestinian Authority, which they're required to do because these are taxes that Palestinians are paying too. Uh, I, the people I met who work for the Palestinian Authority have not been paid for four months, George. Um, this is just another example of how Israel just is completely uh, dismissive of, of its obligations to the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinian people, even though the Palestinian Authority, again, certainly plays ball with Israel. And the Hamas has no authority in the West Bank at all. So the, the entire misnomer uh, that this is a war against Hamas is, of course, disproved by the conduct uh, of uh, the occupation forces in an area where Hamas is not in power. Exactly. In fact, recall that it, uh, the, both the U.S. and Israel have said that maybe uh, they want the Palestinian Authority to end up taking over Gaza, which will never happen. But still, they recognize that the Palestinian Authority, which is the ruling government in the West Bank, is a government favorable to them. It is not Hamas. And so, yes, to blame the Palestinians in the West Bank uh, for Hamas is ridiculous. And yet... Uh, as I said, the arrest and murder of Palestinians in the West Bank is only increasing. But as you say, it has nothing to do with Hamas. It has everything to do with the Israelis' attempt to, frankly, 
uh, carry out their final solution of frankly getting rid of every Palestinian they can uh, from their historic lands. And that's what you're seeing. You know, you saw, you know, of course, I was told that this harvest season, um, Palestinian olive pickers were prevented from harvesting their olives. Uh, Israelis shot at them when they tried to do that. Of course, Israelis are destroying uh, olive trees that are centuries old. I saw an olive tree they called a Roman. I didn't realize this because it'd been be- it, 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 it dates back to the Roman Empire. It's been alive since the Roman Empire and producing olives. And yet uh, the Israelis regularly uh, destroy these, which is the lifeblood of the Palestinian people. Um, it, it's a very sad situation. Um, as I told one of my Palestinian friends, if I lived there, I think I'd be angry every day. And they said, you know, it's hard not to be. You, you, you come home from work. Hard not and, to be, uh, indeed. Yeah, hard not yeah. to be. Dan, just before we, we part, because we must, uh, you're now back home uh, in a country where the president's policy towards Israel and Palestine and the war and ethnic cleansing that's going on. Now, according to a poll today by Pew, a huge poll, uh, only 35% of Americans support it. And yet it has the total support of the entire uh, political class in your country. Are people angry about that? Yes, people are angry, of course, because also the monies that we want that we're sending to Israel means monies that is, are not going to human needs in this country, to the growing homeless population, to people out of work, to people who need health care. Um, the idea that the U.S. is a democracy, I think, has now been shattered by this and by the war in Ukraine, which people also don't support anymore. Um, of course, the idea that Israel's a, a democracy is also uh, being shattered. We live in a world of illusions, um, George, as you know. We live in an Orwellian world, but the scale from people's eyes is 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 being removed, and that's a good thing. And I think we'll see more uh, uh, unrest and more protest, George, and that's what we need. So, uh, which would be the biggest disaster next November? Zion Don, Genocide Joe, uh, or, uh, or or Zionist Kennedy? Uh, because that's the mainstream choice, isn't it? It is. I mean, it really is choosing to die by by hanging or by drowning. Uh, it's hard for me to even consider voting for anybody at this point. And again, that's the so-called democracy we have. By the time you get to November, the, the candidates have been so vetted for their support for the military-industrial complex and for their support of Israel that you don't really have a choice. And, and that's that's what we face. And so the struggle, the political struggles outside the electoral system, right? It's on the streets. That's where you have to be. And that's where I'll be, George, uh, for sure. Probably till I die. I know that. And right. I know that. And right in the front, you are a hero. Dan Kovalik, thanks for joining us. Let's take a call from Ray in Detroit. Yeah, first, I want to thank you, George. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. And I just want to say God bless you and you and your family for all the work that you're doing. Greatly appreciate it. God preserve you you and give you strength to continue. Thank you, brother. Much appreciated. 
So I wanted to uh, share with you and your audience just a, a few things. Uh, one, something going on locally here in, in Dearborn, which is just outside Detroit. Uh, my family and I have I know it well. I've, I've spoken there many times. I've been yeah, there many times, Ray. I know it and love it. Fantastic. So I'm uh, born and raised in Dearborn, by the way. And uh, after my corporate life, I opened up an art gallery and coffee shop. And uh, your show has inspired me really um, to take on an exhibition that I've curated. And I wanted to share that with you. And it basically, it's about a, a photo retrospective <clears throat> of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising and uh, the current Gaza Uprising. And uh, this, this show or this exhibition is titled Never Again, Again. And um, it really Beautiful. was inspired by George. I just, I just want you to know that uh, all of us feel a little frustrated with what's going on in Gaza. And I felt that this was something we could do locally um, within the community to stand up and present this human condition and do this retrospective on these two events, which are eight decades apart, yet they're inextricably linked. And, uh, and that's the message uh, of this, of this uh, exhibition. Uh, and George, you, you know, you were talking earlier about the situation in the Holy Land where Jesus was born and preached. And actually, that was my original idea. I was going to do an exhibition called uh, Christmas in Gaza. So it was a little more edgy. But as I started to do research, I really couldn't put together what it was I wanted to kind of communicate. And I kept finding these images that really took me back to the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. So I pivoted, and that's how I ended up with the current exhibition. I just wanted you to be aware of it. And all those images I've created are available online on our website. I'm not looking for any free uh, publicity here. But if you were interested, I could share that uh, URL with you and, and your listeners, and they're welcome to look uh, at the Very images. much. Uh, I, I, I'm, very, I'm very, very interested, and uh, we'll feature it on the show. Uh, that was a very beautiful call, Ray, and I'm grateful for it. I think you're entirely correct uh, to make the link between Gaza and the Warsaw Ghetto. Uh, there was a time uh, when people used to say to me, don't do that, but I believe that time has passed. It is now undeniable, uh, like an elephant in the room, uh, that the suppression of the people of Gaza mirrors starkly and in a very ugly and bloody way the suppression of the Jewish prisoners in the Warsaw Ghetto and the uprising of the people of the Warsaw Ghetto, an act of heroic resistance and described as terrorism by the Nazi occupiers who had created the ghetto as an open-air concentration camp, well, it couldn't be more obvious. So it's no longer possible to deny it. Uh, and the heroes of the Warsaw Ghetto are rightly commemorated in the minds of all right-thinking people. Uh, but the Palestinians are calumniated. Uh, they, are, uh, they are smeared. Uh, as, as terrorists rather than people who are merely rising up because they can no longer breathe. So I'm really glad that you uh, are doing that. <coughs> and anything we can do uh, to help promote it 
uh, I'm uh, very glad to do. I would have liked to have gotten on a plane and come to Dearborn and spoken out there in favor of uh, your idea and of the cause in general, uh, but I'm not able to do that for a variety of reasons. I wouldn't trust Joe Biden's government to let me in uh, if I did. Uh, maybe uh, in the future we'll meet. Thanks, Ray, in Detroit, Michigan, and a big uh, hello to all my friends in Dearborn who watch the show in very, very significant numbers. That I know. Well, we did get over 35,000, 35,457 people voted that Israel had lost the propaganda war. On Telegram, 95% said yes, they've lost it. On Twitter, 91% said yes, they've lost it. On the YouTube community poll, 90% said yes, they had lost it. And on the YouTube stream, watching uh, this program, 93% said yes, they had lost it. So that is a very significant number of votes and a very much overwhelming judgment, decision. But of course, it doesn't mean uh, that we haven't a responsibility to uh, remorselessly struggle against the lies Against the, against the calumnies, against the smears, which are daily, hourly issued forth against the Palestinian people and those who support them. But I believe that the tide has turned, that nothing will ever be the same again. Not for Israel and not for NATO. Not for Israel and not for the Western Empire that created it and sustains it. I believe, <coughs> as Jackson Hinkle himself said, standing in for me last Wednesday, that the world changed last Wednesday. It changed when the president of Russia routinely slandered and lied about in Western countries. In Western countries where much of the population believes he's isolated uh, that he's dead, that he's a body double, uh, that he's on the point of death, that he's a dictator, that he's a tyrant. All these lies about Putin and about Russia died in the desert of Abu Dhabi last Wednesday. And I and Gayatri were there. And we'll be forever grateful that we were. It's been a great show, I think. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, be sure to tune in on Wednesday for the midweek mother of all talk shows at the slightly later time uh, of 9pm UK time. So that's 4pm in New York. So bring another viewer with you. Why don't you? Until then, good night.